He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the Word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Hallelujah. Shall we share a word of prayer? Holy Spirit, we come before you this morning. Our hearts and our lives are open to you. Great physician, do your work in any area that you have to do your work. And help us to leave this place perfected before you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Daughter. Well, I see that in America your time is almost like Ghana time. But the Lord is merciful, amen. This morning I'm supposed to talk to you about Christian relationships. And um, it's going to be a mixture of many things. I want to talk about the woman and her relationships. A woman and her relationships. I'm sure you will agree with me that life, as I see it, is to do with relationships. When we are born into the world, we relate to our parents, we relate to our siblings, we relate to maybe the extended family, relate to friends, relate to good friends and bad friends. We relate to people we flow with and people we don't flow with. We relate to people at work. We relate to people in church. Our lives are always relationship-oriented. And so this morning, the first thing I want to talk about is the woman and forgiveness. The woman and forgiveness. Now, let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew is in the New Testament. It's the first book. Are we there? Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard that was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully or despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors or sinners do so. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Amen. Now, this is something we've heard in the Matthew 7, verse 1. Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not, that ye be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Alright? So this is something we have heard. That is said that love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for them that despitefully use you. It is easy to read, but it is not always easy to live. Amen. Amen. I think that the bedrock of any relationship and anything that, if you ask me, if there's any one thing that I think makes any relationship work, whether it's marriage or is there any one thing, I would say that it is forgiveness. It is forgiveness because when people are close or when people relate, they are likely to step on each other's toes. Amen. And I think that we as women do not find it so easy to forgive. And that is not because we don't believe in forgiveness or just because we think it's a hard thing, but it's because we are more emotional and wounds and hurts get deeper into us than it gets into a man, generally speaking. There are exceptions to the rule. And because these wounds and heads and swords and knives stick into us, we have a tendency to protect ourselves from being hurt again. And it is a natural reaction when you go somewhere and you are always being jabbed with a knife. You will retreat so that you can at least nurse your wound or your wounds and then stop the wounds from recurring again. And so that is why forgiveness is a big thing for women because of our emotions. What happens is that when we are wronged, we go into our closet and we analyze all that has, been, has happened. And we ask ourselves, are you sure she didn't mean what she did? She meant it. Because, number one, I could see from her facial expression. Number two, her body language was as if she didn't care. <laughs> number three, she even made a comment to a third person that this. Number four, I know her history and this is not the first time. <laughs> number five, she's taking me for granted and I have to show her where to draw the line. And then when that happens, we justify ourselves that in fact this person is not worthy of forgiveness. And when the Holy Spirit says, What about the word? 
Jesus forgave you. Then you say, Jesus forgives all of us. <laughs> so that is not something special. But as for this thing that has happened, Sister Mami, I will forgive, but I will not forget. But forgetting is part of forgiveness. Amen. Let's read Genesis 31. Now that we have this backbone of scripture, we'll read about Joseph. Um, we'll read from 42 because otherwise then the reader will be too much. But I'll just quickly recap. I know you know about Joseph. How he had dreams. His father loved him. He had the best coat. And he was so immature that he shared his dreams and his visions with his brothers. He didn't know that it was anything that would promote envy. And sometimes we do that. We share dreams and visions at a stage that they must not be shared. The Bible said about Mary, the mother of Jesus, she kept these things in her heart and pondered over them. So sometimes it is not every dream you have that is as, it's at the time of being shared. The dream has to be nurtured, it has to be protected, it has to grow strong and not die before you share it. But Joseph was immature. He didn't even know that he was living in the midst of envious people. That is why when his father sent him into the fields to look for his brothers, he didn't think that he should protect himself. He felt that, I'll just go and report to them that they are not doing what they should do. And most of the time, younger siblings, they have a pet chant for reporting us and saying all the bad things that we've done to our mothers and our fathers. So, well, the people, the brothers said, look, we've had enough of this guy. Number one, because he has this coat of many colors, it really emphasizes the gap between he and us. And many times as women, when somebody is good or gifted or has certain qualities, we feel that it emphasizes what we don't have. And we are not happy about it. And we resent the person for what she has and what she stands for. And whatever you have and whatever God has gifted you for, you must be prepared to be persecuted for it. Sarah was beautiful and she suffered for her beauty. That was what took her into betrayal. That was what made Pharaoh want to... Um, and rape her and all that. So sometimes you just have something that is God-given and it creates resentment. So well, he was thrown into a pit. He was sold to the Midianites for the slave money of, I think, 30 pieces of silver, just like Jesus. And he was taken to Egypt. And whilst in Egypt, he worked for Potiphar's wife. Potiphar and his wife. And the Bible says that Potiphar did not even know what he had because Joseph was so good. And yet Potiphar's wife's wife made advances at Joseph. And when Joseph ran away, the whole world said, this is evidence. Intrinsic and extrinsic evidence. It cannot be refuted that your coat is in the hands of Potiphar's wife. Oh, then you did it. Because what would make somebody remove his coat? You mean you are running away so much, you took off everything? Oh, come on. We are grown-ups now. And so Joseph lost his little ray of hope that he thought he had. And he was flung into prison. He went to Egypt at the age of 17. He came out of prison at the age of 30. 
Some of us would have been very bitter at the end of it all. But God gave him a dream, and through that dream, God brought him out of prison. And he became number two only to Pharaoh. But in fact, when he speaks later in the Bible, you see that he says that I am father to Pharaoh. So even though he was a deputy, was, Pharaoh was just a figurehead, but Joseph was everything. Now, Joseph could have made attempts to change the situation. After all, slaves were coming from Midian all the time. He could have sent a message to his father, you know, I'm here. This is the secret. This is what has really happened to me. But the Bible gives us no such accounts. I do not understand why God did not redeem Joseph's reputation. In all that God did, he never told us that Potiphar's wife came to say that the story was not true and it was a lie. There are certain things that may never seem to be resolved. But what God does compensates for all those things. Although he may not particularly deal with that your particular situation. But some of us would have been saying, oh God, vindicate me. My hard-earned reputation. My integrity is at stake. God, move. I wouldn't have thought that we should be king of Egypt. That would not be the answer. But God in his sovereignty did not deal with that problem that Joseph had had. When he was in prison, in prison there was no light. In prison you are in bondage. In prison you are limited. In prison you think of your enemies and all that they've done. You think of why you are where you are. And that was Joseph. But you know, talking to the butler and all that, we don't hear an account of him, his bitter experiences, and what who has done. And because he recognized that in spite of your enemies, there is a greater person. And like I preached yesterday, that greater person is weaving the tapestry of your life. You see, so you do not see your enemy as your enemy but you see your enemy as a tool in the hands of God Amen. and when you see your enemy as a tool in the hands of God it will be easy to love your enemies because you will just look at the enemy and say oh you don't know what you are doing but I mean God is just using you in fact I feel pity for you that you could be used by Satan to this extent you need help and deliverance. Amen. Thank you. So Joseph comes out of jail and God uses him in a very significant way. Genesis 41 verse 51 this morning I'm just talking. I may not say 21 reasons for this, but I'm just talking to you from my heart. Amen. I'm very, very known for 21 reasons for that and all that because I'm a product of the bishop. Amen. Genesis 41 verse 51. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. He called the first one Manasseh because God 
has made me to forget all my toil. You see, the reason why we are not able to forgive is because we do not allow yesterday to die. We hang on to all the pain and the injustices of yesterday. And so God is not able to help us to forget. And I feel that forgiveness has been made in such a way that it is something that you have to do. But I have come to see that you also need supernatural power to be able to forgive. Sometimes there are, in your estimation, there are minor sins that you can forgive easily. And then sometimes it's like, ah, this is the part that hurts so much and I just can't. But Joseph said, God has made me to forget. May God make you to forget this morning. May God make you to forget that person that you have built your life around. That event that you have built your life around. May the Holy Ghost, the supernatural power of God, help you. And may God himself make you to forget. And then when you forget, he will make you fruitful in the land of your affliction. It is the place of pain that becomes a place of gain. It is your misery that will become your ministry. It is your mess that will become your message. Amen. It is in the land of affliction. God will make you to forget your toil. God will make you fruitful in the land of it. So when you go through something painful, don't, um, don't, don't let it be as if it's the end of the world. And don't let it destroy you. The Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Beloved, diligence means hard work. Diligence means you exert some pressure, some force. You, 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 you try. The Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. I tell you, if you want to be in the ministry, you've got to learn to guard your heart. Because as for the head, more. As for the pain, massive. But God will make you to forget. And God will make you fruitful in the land of your affliction. Amen. As for the opportunity to be hurt, you will have it. Like Joseph. So far as you live on this earth, many will offend you. The Bible says it is impossible, but that offenses should come. And offenses will come. Amen. And offenses hurt more when you love the people more. And that is why when people are in love or they are married and they feel that this thing I can't forgive, it's worse than any other hurt that they may have. Because of the link and of the closeness, it is that place of pain. But you see, the fact that you are wounded and you are hurt does not mean that it is the end of the world. It is part of your growth process. It is part of change, like I preached yesterday. Even a baby, when he's growing teeth, will have teething problems because growth and change is coming and it comes through pain. When a woman goes through her menstrual cycle, sometimes she has pain because it is part of the process. So pain should not be the reason why we should retreat from life or we should become depressed or we should become suicidal. Amen. Like Joseph, God will make you to be fruitful in the land of your affliction. 
And I testify that there are times when I have actually forgotten what people have done to me. And when I was younger, even in high school, secondary school and all that, somebody would do something. Let's say Rosemary has done something. She's my friend. I said, this is Rosemary. What she's done, I'm not happy. When I see her next, I won't mind her. And as I go along, I meet Rosemary. I forget. So then I say, why is Rosemary? Then I remember in the middle of my face that this is Rosemary. I am not actually supposed to be flowing with her. But the harm would already have been done. But I thank God for that gift. Amen. But as I have progressed in life and have grown older, I have also been tempted to retreat. To say, you know, I'm going to give this person this line. Because the more you give, the more people are some way. So you always have to stay here and be this way. And when you are civil and just nice, but you don't go beyond, you'll be okay. But you will never get meaningful relationships that way. You have to pay a price to have any meaningful relationship. Amen. I am married to a near-perfect man. Amen. I'm married to a man who is very close to God. But he has still offended me sometimes. And I have had to forgive him. And you know the typical female way when he says, Oh, mommy, what's wrong? You see, men don't see much. What's wrong? I used to say nothing. <laughs> and I told the men in the church, When you are wife says nothing. Charlie, it's a major thing. If she talks to you and says this and that happened, be happy. Because that one is good. But if she says nothing, and then check her facial expression, nothing. In fact, you are not safe. Because she's saying in her head, do you not know what you've done? So you are now coming to ask me, I tell you, the, master, the matter speaks for itself. That is what it means. And then she's analyzing in her head. Sometimes they are even insulting you men in their heads. That is why God is a God of forgiveness. Amen. But if we are to walk in forgiveness like Joseph did, we must learn to analyze ourselves. You know the Bible says, judge not and you will not be judged. The same Bible says in John 8 that judge righteous judgment. So God expects us to judge between certain things, what to do, is this appropriate behavior and all that, but not to pass a sentence. A judge passes a sentence as well that you have done this and that and that. You are sentenced to so many years in prison. Amen. When I was practicing law, I was working with Bishop's father and Reverend Saki. And then we had this case of um, a murderer that we had to go and defend. So our boss started the case. The case went very well. He was a very good criminal lawyer. And then he had to go to London to do another case or something very urgent. So he left suddenly, unexpectedly. So Reverend Saki and I had to carry this case. I mean, fresh from law school. In fact, it wasn't easy. So we went, and every time we went, I would say, I would look at the man. You know, the man looked so frail and so... Can this man commit murder? 
He doesn't look it. And there were pictures, you know, and the pictures show that it was on the farm. So a cutlass had been used and all the entrails had come out. We had to tender that as evidence to the jury. Members of the jury, the, the prosecution would say, if a man does this and that and that, is he fit to live in society? Is he safe for society? What is the essence of the law if you allow such a man to live? And we also get up and say, members of the jury, the man was defending himself. How many of us will not do anything to preserve life? And we did our best. <laughs> In fact, we like spoke the most. And then at the end of it all, we lost our case. The man was sentenced to life imprisonment. In fact, he was found guilty not of manslaughter, but of murder. And, I mean, we felt and knew from our facts, well, defense, that the man hadn't done it. But after that, the judge had to come and pass sentence. And in Ghana, it's under this old British tradition. So the judge goes into the chambers and comes out with a red and black thing on his wig. I think he has a red thing on his neck as well. Then he comes to sit in the judge's seat after the jury has given their verdict. He says, based on this section of the law and what the jury has said, we condemn you to death. They'll say death, but under our law now, they'll not really kill you, but they'll say you are condemned. To, it's finished. Then we, they, they'll commute it to life, you know. And there are certain verses they say, O ye, O ye, may you roast in hell for your sins. May condemnation come upon you. Something, something. This is the first time I tell you that somebody had been convicted of murder. And as I sat there, that time I didn't even know a lot about mercy, but something happened to me that we could pass judgment. I mean, man can pass judgment on somebody like this. I couldn't believe it. Immediately after the case, I fell ill completely. <laughs> couldn't get out of bed, nothing. I was having nightmares. I was seeing this man behind bars and I would be screaming. So after that, I said, you know, criminal law is not for me. It's not for the faint-hearted, in fact. <laughs> but the way the judgment and the condemnation came, it was like the man was not fit to live. And that is a place that God does not want you and I to come to. Because maybe if we were also in the same circumstance, we may have acted the same, if not worse. And the, the proposition of the law was that even if you are defending yourself, you know, if somebody is chasing you, the law says that you can hit the person and immobilize him and run. But when the person has fallen, you are not supposed to take the knife and cut him to pieces. That one that you have an intent to murder. That was the intent to commit the crime. And so this guy, when he did whatever to the guy and the guy fell, he should have left him. But he took his cutlass and finished him off. So that was more than self-defense and therefore it was murder but the way the judgment was passed if so when i look back i said god if this is what we do as human beings in fact god should have mercy on us so we should not sit in the judgment seat so first of all to be able to move in forgiveness we must analyze ourselves we must analyze ourselves and know that we are mortal we are men and we all make many mistakes 
Some people say, I'll never make such a mistake. Go for somebody's husband. I will never make such a mistake. Sister, man, don't even say it. What she has done, I will never forget. But analyze yourself. It may not be that you will commit that sin, but you are still sinful in your nature. Amen. Amen. When you are at your best, you are not at God's best. Sometimes, you know, when we've been Christians for a long time, we become very self-righteous. And when people follow, they, they do anything wrong. Ah, these days are Christianity that people are practicing, honestly. As much as we don't have to condone sin, we also have to be merciful. The Bible says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Mercy and forgiveness are things that when you give, you get back. So we should analyze ourselves that we are also sin-prone people. That we also make many mistakes. And some of us have even made mistakes in the past. Maybe similar to what the person is doing. So we should analyze it. And that will create in us a spirit of humility. And will not make us sit in the judgment seat and then move on to condemnation. Which is what God does not want. Now I also want to say that be frank about your emotions. Be frank about your emotions. Genesis 43 verse 30. Genesis 43 verse 30. And Genesis 42, verse 24. Verse 24, 42, 24, and then 43:30. 42:24 says, And he turned himself away from them, that's his brothers, and wept. Then he returned to them again and talked with them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. You see, his brothers had come to Egypt looking for food. And then he, had, he wanted to test them to see if what was in their heart. So he put some cup or other in somebody's sack. And when they found it, so the person was a thief. You know, so they brought Simeon. And the Bible says that Joseph, he wept. The whole president of Egypt, he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he returned to them again. It's okay to weep over your pain. It's okay to acknowledge that this thing has caused me much hurt. It's okay to be emotional about it. But don't overdo it. Amen. But sometimes when we preach about forgiveness, it's like, eh, behave as if it didn't happen. And behave as if the person is the saint. No, that's not what we are saying. But we are saying that allow yourself to grieve over what has happened. But do not grieve forever. And when he had wept, the Bible says, he returned again unto them. After you have gone through your emotional cycle, return again unto that relationship. Amen. Turn away and weep. But after you have weeped, turn again and return to them. Don't strike their name off your book of favorite people. Don't excommunicate them from your life. Amen. But express how you feel. You know, the Bible says, confess your faults one to another so that you may be healed. We'll talk about that. 
But I don't think that when it's forgiveness, God wants you to bury everything and say, I'm well, you know, I'm well, and then you are hurting inside. But God wants you to express that emotion. And being women, oh, I know that tears can be therapeutic. I know it. As soon as you cry, you feel better. It's true. But don't let it become a lifestyle. Every time you are, wondering, you are thinking about the many things and you are crying day in and out. That's not how it is to be. But you must be yourself as well. It's okay to cry. And Jesus wept. Amen. Amen. Genesis 43, 30. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. He sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. And he restrained himself and said, Serve the bread. He had now, you know, come to know his brothers and all that. The Bible says he went into his chamber and he wept there. Some of us, we go and weep in the midst of ungodly counsel. You go to your best friend who is sympathizing. Ah, that she is really somewhere. I agree with you. She is actually even last time she did this and that. You want somebody to support your 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 stand and where you are from. But blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Amen. So you can weep, but weep before God. Weep in your closet. Weep in your chamber. Amen. And tell God how it hurts. Because if you tell people, oh, it's hurt so much, they may not understand. If you tell my husband, he will say, oh, really? Eh? Forget about it and move on. <laughs> but we know that it's not like that. You can't just easily just forget about it and move on. You want to talk about it. Because talking is also therapy. Amen. But the Bible says he washed his face, he came out, and he restrained himself. You see, your emotions should not be out of control. They should be restrained. Amen. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. So you don't just allow your some women, we allow emotions to rule our spirits, rule our souls, rule our bodies. In fact, it is not Jesus who is Lord, but our emotions are Lord. And that is not what God intends. Analyze yourself. Allow yourself to grieve and to be real. Amen. Then analyze the offender. Analyze the offender. But analyze the offender through eyes of love. See, they say that when we are looking at people's faults, we put on magnifying glasses. But when we are looking at ours, we put on rose-colored glasses, so everything is so rosy. But analyze the offender. Amen. Joseph said to his brothers, You meant it for evil, but God turned it out for good. Genesis 45, verse 3. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. 
So they came near, then he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Amen. Amen. He was also analyzed. The third thing is analyze the circumstances. Analyze how things have worked out for your good in spite of all that happened. Analyze the positive aspects of that pain, of that seemingly impossible situation. Analyze it. Joseph said that God has sent me ahead of you two years to preserve a posterity. He recognized the plan of God in his life. So he knew that you, man, you are a small fry. You are nothing. You can do your worst, but you are nothing. God says, behold, I set before you an open door which no man can shut. So let man do his worst. The promises of God will never fail. And what God has said concerning you, it will come to pass. He took your beloved and so what? Let the beloved go. If he could be <laughs> taken so easily, he's not worth his salt. Amen. Sometimes you go through these heartaches so that it will draw you closer to God. Lady Pastor, you see, when I was working, then I was really contributing to the house, but now that I'm not working, he doesn't give me any money. God is trying to turn your eyes to him as your source. He wants you to make him Jehovah Jireh. Amen. See the positive things that God is doing in the midst of the seemingly painful situation. Joseph said, God sent me on ahead. He said, now I'm a father to Pharaoh. Amen. And Lord of all his house and the ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. See how patient this impossible person has made you. So patient. Look at the lessons this impossible person has taught you. You could never have learned it anywhere. So that's what I think. I say, if I didn't meet this person, I would never have known that there was such pain in life. But it all makes you a better person. And it helps you to endure hardships. Because other things will come. But because you pass this test, when it happens, oh, this is not much, you know. I've been through this thing before. And also, as you analyze the offender, you will get a certain sense of being above. You look and you say, ah, but why did she behave this way? Why did she come for my beloved? Because she doesn't know how to keep covenant, how to keep promise. She just misbehaves around the place. Oh, poor girl, poor thing. <laughs> Amen. You see, as you analyze the offender, you will see the humanness of the offender. You will see the transcendence of the offender. You see David in the Bible, Saul did so many things. He cast a javelin at him twice. He sent him to be captain of the army. And the Bible says he did it not because he loved uh, uh, David, but because he said that so that his life would be in danger. And David did not know all this, but he was moving. And then after that, he promised him his daughter, 
Merab, that he would marry and be the king's son-in-law. But the Bible says he did it so that he would be able to ask David for hundred false kings of the Philistines. And then when David goes, his life will be in danger by the Philistines. But David went and he was successful. And the Bible says that God's favor rather increased. So when people are rather being some way and oppressive and all that, God looks at you and says, hey, it's time to lift you up. It's time to bring my favor upon you. Because you are being unjustly treated. Amen. And then he promised her to Michal, his daughter. David killed the Philistines and married Michal. Then Saul sent people to kill David in bed. And Michal told David, you know, the people after you ran through this window. And he ran through the window. David had to go through caves. Some of us have said, hey, one thing. This man has been chasing me. Oh, all that I have for him is finished. But when he met Saul in the cave, he said, my father, my father, why do you run after me like running after a flea? He was analyzing the offender. A king is now running after a fly. How can that be? The king has lost it. Amen. The Bible says Saul secretly practiced mischief against David. Nowadays, I don't want to even find out what my enemies are planning against me. It's not necessary. Because the Bible says, but God never gave him into the hands of his enemies. So it doesn't matter. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall prosper. So that thing happened, and then she went to tell this person, and then they discuss, and then now they pretend they're safe, and they have conferences, and they say that they are wasting their energy. Amen. When you live in peace, you live in rest. Amen. You enter into the rest of God, and God takes care of things for you. Analyze the offender. Analyze the offender. Analyze also the fact that you may be wrong. You may be wrong. You see, usually, maybe the root of what we are saying may be true, but then the embellishment on it may not be true. What we imagine is worse than the real, usually. So maybe you have a little premise of truth, but you build a castle, a whole mansion, you build a World Trade Center over the thing. And meanwhile, there is some small cottage. Amen. Amen. So analyze the fact, I mean, just accept the fact that I could be wrong. And when you feel that you could be wrong, you come to that place where you say, vengeance is the Lord's. He will repay. So if there is any wrongdoing, it's God who will repay, not you. And God can repay better than you, I tell you. The Bible says, behold the severity and the mercy of God. God has both sides. The Bible also says the Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be still. God fights the battle better than you fight the battle. And you can also fight the battle on your knees. But you don't need to descend with the chicken and crawl in the sand together and claw in it together. And then you, you said that word. And then, then why? You are too dainty, too beautiful to come that low. Don't allow it. Once there was a lady in Volta Hall who went to her, her husband, I think she was mine then, or her, her fiancé's office. And then she went to meet somebody there. Oh, very nice lady, very beautiful. It was a major fight. They tore their clothes, including the man's shirt. I said, this guy, he'll be feeling cool, bah. 
I mean, why? Walk out with dignity and leave them to wait. The Lord will fight for you. Amen. Don't waste your energy and your emotional strength on this one thing, this one person, this one circumstance. Move on. And as you move on, it will seem small even in your sight. But as you brood over it, it will be growing bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and it will be difficult to overcome. I also spoke about the fact that confess your faults one to another so that you may be healed. Sometimes you can go to a godly person or to your pastor and say, Pastor, this situation is bothering me and I'm hurting inside. What should I do? Jesus also told us that if you are the one who has offended, go to the one you have offended and make peace before you bring your sacrifice to the altar. But many times in the body of Christ, we are not able to sit one-on-one and talk about our differences. And that is what makes the problems difficult. So sometimes you should bring in a mediator, a pastor, a third person who can talk. But before you go to the mediation table, be prepared to make allowances. Don't be so intractable in your situation that, and me, she has wrong, this is how I feel, and that's it. As I go, in fact, anything the pastor says, I wouldn't talk much, but I know everything in my head. <laughs> then don't go. Because you are so strong on your position that nothing will make you move. But there are certain people that you can talk to one-on-one and say, you know, this thing that happened, I didn't appreciate it. And I would like us to talk about it. So what do you think? You know, they are set, but you shouldn't go with the mind that you are going to change the person. Because some people will never change for you. You know, you go and tell them, you know, this thing that you do, I don't like it. And they say, okay, okay, I've heard. I'll try and see what happens. Then they become worse. Because they know now that it hurts you, they will overdo it. But the person who can deal with every situation is Jehovah God. Amen. In our relationships in the church, be it sister to sister, brother to sister, husband to wife, pastor to sheep, whatever it is, the bedrock of every relationship is forgiveness. It is forgiveness. And you can always ask for supernatural strength to forgive. Now the Bible says, let's turn to Philippians 1.9. Philippians 1.9 and Romans 12.9. I'm ending this particular session soon. Philippians 1.9 and Romans 1.9. Romans 12.9. Philippians 1.9, Romans 12.9. Philippians is not in the Old Testament, please. Romans 12.9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Paul was writing to the church, said, let love be without hypocrisy. Let it be real, genuine, godly love. No love with other things. You give the brother dinner, he doesn't know anything. Not knowing the plate has a long string attached to it. So that as he eats the food, he's supposed to sacrifice himself on the altar and you pull the rope. I used to tell Reverend Sakir Pastor way back in the university that you know no dinner is free. 
And they'll say, really? So do you mean uh, this ministration we are receiving? All that I'll say to you is that no dinner is free. And I think they found that out later. Amen. Let love be without hypocrisy. Hate what is evil and cling to that which is good. If you know that your love is becoming some way, just retreat. Hate what is evil and cling to that which is good. Amen. If you know that it's hypocritical, deal with it inside. Let God heal you. It's okay to be hurt. It's okay to be down. It's okay. But don't live there. Amen. Allow the Holy Ghost to heal you. The Bible says, I will heal you of all your wounds. Philippians 1.9 And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. Sometimes we can minimize the aches and pains that we cause others by letting our love abound in all wisdom and knowledge, in discernment. Try and see a little. That as you make those your core statements, it hurts people. Don't say, oh, Sam, me, I'm just frank. So I say it as I should. It's good to be frank, but if it hurts the person, analyze it and do something about it. Paul said, if eating meat will cause my brother to sin, I will not eat it. Even eating meat. But some of us, it's worse than eating meat, and it's like, let your love abound. Your love is supposed to go. In all wisdom and knowledge, in all discernment and knowledge. Amen. And that will minimize or limit the unnecessary aches and pains. And then for those of us who are overly sensitive, remember that love is not easily provoked. Small, small, life is not easy. Grow Amen. You can't be a crybaby all your life. This day it really hurts me. This day it really hurts. Meditate on the word. It's all meditating on the, on the pain and the events that have caused it. Meditate on the word. Sometimes we even end up in places that we didn't program ourselves to be in. You see, when Paul was on the ship, he told the captain of the ship in the book of Acts that this journey is going to be with much hurt. And the captain didn't listen. And they ran into problems. And the Bible says that they lost their ship, but their lives were saved. Sometimes you come to places where you didn't get there by yourself, but people made certain decisions that brought you there. But even in the midst of that, God will save your life. You may lose some ships, but you will not lose your life. And once there's life, there's hope. Amen. You will recover all. God has promised that I will restore to you. All that the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm they have eaten, I will restore. God is a restorer. Amen. So whatever you have lost, it is not the end of the world that you should build your whole life around. We build booths around situations. Peter, when he went up the mountain with Jesus and he saw Moses and Elijah and the glory, and say, don't let's go down to real life. Let's live here so that we don't have to face any challenges. But it was good that he came down. When he saw the glory of God, he thought that that was it. He didn't know that the glory of God was actually going to move and dwell in man with the crucifixion. So if you build your tabernacle in a place that you are not supposed to build, you never come into the fullness of God. So do not build your life around a person who offended you. 
around the person who hurt you. And also, as you analyze the offender, so that, ah, but this person, she's blowing time and living normally. And now I'm going home and thinking, oh, for what purpose? Rise up, daughter, and live your life. Amen. If you, you have a certain um, temperament, you may be prone to thinking a lot about evil that has been done you. And in that case, begin to think about things that make you happy. Things that make you feel blessed. Begin to have a thankful attitude. And begin to leave things with God. And then you will see that forgiveness can be made easy. Amen. Sometimes people say, I forgive him, but I don't feel it inside me. Those are just feelings. I would say that, walk by the word. The feelings will follow later. Sometimes, even in the church, people come and say, Lady Pastor, my friend introduced this brother to me, and I mean, he's good and everything, but you know, the chemistry is not there, and you know, so I don't know whether we'll be in a relationship. You start relating. <laughs> and then the chemistry will follow, the feelings will follow. Amen. It's the same way with forgiveness. As you start, don't look at your feelings. We walk by faith, not by sight, not by sensual things, not by the way we feel. But as you do what is right, God will buttress your situation with all the things that you need. And your forgiveness will become a reality. It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi, or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.